0: Greetings,
1: humans. You have entered the sideboard. Wait, the sideboard? What the heck? Do Commander Decks even have sideboards? What happened to the command zone? Guys? Guys?
0: Yeah, what the hell, Jimmy? Yeah, what? What's happening? What is going on here? We've started a new podcast. Kind of, not really. (laughs) (laughs) So we warned you on last episode of the command
1: zone that we are going to be doing thursday episodes that are slightly different yep. than our normal content we're calling them
0: the sideboard episodes what a great name you emailed me this earlier today and i saw it and it's one of those things where it's like you see it and you're like yep it's this it's like it was under my nose the whole time is a perfect name we need catchy names for things that's just how yeah the end stab, uh, go. the yeah. sideboard
1: um, so these are going to be about whatever the heck we want to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's the sideboard. We can dig into the sideboard after our main topic, our first game, whatever, and figure out what we want to dig out of there. Uh, I think the kind of the episode that we did with the professor last week is similar to this. You know, when we cover modern, uh, not modern, uh, so sort of ongoing events, things mm-hmm. that have happened in the community. Uh, this is the perfect sort of, um, I was going to say trash can, but like the, <laughs> the, the, you know uh, the canvas the canvas yeah outside of our main work of art oh god i just called the commands on the work of art that's it's all over this analogy is going crazy <laughs> I, I love it it's yeah, awesome it's you know where you toss all, all the other stuff that you can't talk about normally
1: yep uh we're gonna be able to talk about for instance battle for zendikar draft yeah. is what we're gonna talk about this episode but who knows we could talk about Any format we feel like, anything that's going on in the world of Magic, we could Mm -hmm. talk about a totally different game if we feel like it. This is just going to be the place where Jimmy and I get to discuss anything that makes us feel passionate and excited.
0: Yeah, and Draft is definitely our second favorite format, or sometimes even favorite format, depending on the set. Uh, concept of here, I think, definitely places itself high up there.
1: Yeah, definitely for a couple of weeks there, it was more. I was liking it more than Commander.
0: Yeah, uh, my friend Daniel Kim described Draft to me in a great way, which is, it's a great way to play Magic because you get to encapsulate the three most fun parts of playing Magic the Gathering, which is, one, opening boosters, two, building a deck, and then three playing the game of magic yep so you get to do all these three different things um and speaking of the number three i guess we should explain what draft is really quickly
1: yeah okay so if you're not familiar with draft because you listen to the command zone but you don't draft it's what we call a limited format which means you don't start with any specific cards in the draft format you start with three packs of cards yeah boost packs yep and so what happens is you open your pack of cards you look at it and you choose a single card from the pack you're
0: playing at a table. With six to eight other people. Well, six to seven other people with eight total usually is the number for a draft pod. Yeah, it's usually an even number. Yeah.
1: Um, you take the one card out of your pack. You hand it to your left or your right, depending on what round it is. You hand it to the side, and you take the pack from the person to your right. So now you have a pack that they've already taken one card out of, and you've already taken one card out of the previous pack. Mm-hmm. And then you look through what's remains, you take one card, you pass it, and you keep doing that for all three packs until you've built a deck that's 40 cards. Yep and then you play it against everybody else.
0: You can add any number of lands you want. Usually there's about 17 lands and 23 cards. So Basic it lands. It's not only limited in the fact that you're opening uh, sealed booster packs, but it's also limited in that you don't really have access to that many cards. Um, it's great. Uh, some people describe it as sort of like the uh, put together every tool in your garage that you can to fight a war with. You know? It's the
1: MacGyver format for sure. Uh, most people will say that it's the most skill-intensive format because you're also evaluating cards mm-hmm. on the fly. Uh, according to what other cards you already have and what other cards may come in the future. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's super, super fun. We love it. We do it a lot. I'm going to assume that most of you know what Draft is. At some point, maybe we'll have to do a video or something explaining Draft more in-depth for people who haven't tried it. Yeah, If definitely. you have not tried it, we're going to talk about it, a lot of things on this episode, and we may go a little deep and it may sound a little intimidating, but Draft is actually super, super fun, You can do it with your friends. I would encourage you to try it out. Don't be too worried about winning the draft the first few times you do it. Just go try it because it'll get you used to just draft as a format.
0: And a quick shout-out to, of course, Marshall Sutcliffe, who is the host of the Limited Resources podcast right now. He's hosting it along, Louis Scott Vargas. Uh, This is the podcast that I started listening to that inspired both me and Josh to create the Command Zone. For
1: sure. Uh, Um, And they are the gold standard of all Magic podcasts and specifically – limited and draft podcasts
0: yeah love draft big fan of it and today we're going to be talking about uh battle for zendikar which is the most recent set that came out you guys will know it because that's expeditions that's what everyone talks about
1: yeah i'm sure you all know what battle for zendikar is now yeah this format has there's been a lot of chatter jimmy
0: yeah there actually has been a lot yeah um, a lot
1: of people are having a tough time
0: yep i'm having a tough time and yeah. it, it so i i hate blaming it on things that aren't myself that aren't like yourself yeah yeah <laughs> but but i'm having a tough time
1: <laughs> um it is a it's a difficult format it's very complex um
0: maybe it's because i'm only playing eight fours
1: yeah eight fours will make it tougher for sure that the the average skill level of everybody else that you're drafting this will have a lot to do with it yeah um, and the
0: stakes are higher
1: it's a tough it's a tough format and so this is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about it is because there has been a lot of talk out there and a lot of stuff on Twitter. Just, It's not like Magic Origins. It's just not necessarily clicking with everybody. Mm-hmm. I've actually done really well with the format. I think I'm like 18-3 and three in matches or something right now. Nice.
0: In real life, I've done great. In but paper, and online, yeah, I've done horribly.
1: Well, I'd say in general, too, the players on MTGO are... Of a higher skill level, for sure. what you're going to sit down in an We're FNM. talking about
0: Magic Online when we say MTGO, by yeah. the
1: way. Um, I did really bad at Sealed, though.
0: Yeah, and I actually was saying this from the pre-release. I think this is one of those sets where Sealed is not going to be as good or rewarding and is a lot more variance-based.
1: Yeah, I do think it's tougher. I do think knowing what I know now, uh, because because I was bad at Sealed, and I did a couple Sealed online, and I went mm-hmm. two and two, and I, it was not very good, and that caused me to like go out there and really look around and try and figure out you know, what I was doing wrong. And so actually sort of not being very good at the sealed format probably caused me to study it more and in which case i'm that's probably a reason why i'm doing a little better draft yeah so why do you think people are having trouble with this set in particular
0: it's weird so normally when you draft a set there are a lot of uh not hard set rules but Mm -hmm. just basic guidelines like for instance is it an efficient like how to judge a card for example so it's four mana and it's a four four on the vanilla scale it means if you're just looking at how much it costs and the power and toughness how good is the creature a four mana four four is very acceptable and it's pretty good you know for being four mana sometimes you get four mana two threes or whatever and you're like right. oh gross um, it's way different than commander obviously too because you know a four mana four four that does nothing in commander is just awful. But in limited, it's, it depends on the set that it's in. There's a lot of evaluation of cards. And a lot of those rules that are pretty typical in other sets are kind of thrown out the window with Balfour's and the card because there's it's so synergy-based. And certain cards may be both equally good but in completely different decks. And if you're drafting a certain deck and you want to take the other card, it could just be the flat-out wrong decision, even if it's a higher power level in the other deck.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, is that in most sets, you look at a card and you look at its overall power level in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, Magic Origins is a great example of this. In Magic Origins, you can usually look at a card and you can almost not all not hundred percent, but in a lot of ways you don't even have to think about what other cards are in the set, what other mm-hmm. cards you already have. You just look can look at that card and say, This card is objectively powerful by itself.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna take that. In this set there's a lot less of that yeah it's scary uh but it it makes synergy it makes every single time you pick a card an unsure moment in the first pack or so that's what i've been feeling is just this sort of creeping anxiety of like oh my gosh am i in the right lane am i am i getting fed the right cards or am i just trying to jump into something am i trying to force something oh gosh and sort of panicking isn't this
1: gonna work out is it gonna work out oh my gosh it's
0: not working out and then in the second pack you see cards going by i'm like oh i made the wrong choice i flubbed i'm so i'm done Uh." yeah and there's a lot of that sort of anxiety going on with this draft because i think At the same time, there are also other people around the table trying to figure it out as it's going, and that can send mixed signals. And when we talk about signals in draft, it means, like, for instance, if you take a black card in your first pack, and from every single pack for for that rest of that first pack, you see no black cards, your opponent to your right is sending you a signal that he or she or the person next to them is going to be in black, so that you shouldn't just force all the black cards you can get because you got a really sweet black rare or whatever. Uh, and the signals in this are a lot more mixed because there are so many different cards that are good for different archetypes and sometimes people may not have fully picked up on what's good and they may be passing a card that is objectively better and they may be in that archetype but they've just made the wrong choice and then you're, all of a sudden your signals are all thrown off. And,
1: well, I think also because in most sets, like you, your first example was talking about colors yeah. and what the color signals are, this set has an entirely another axis that you have to think about which is what archetype signals are so somebody yeah. could be in black to your right which means they're passing to you which in general in most sets would mean you shouldn't draft black because they're going to be cutting all the black cards but in this mm. set if they're in one of the archetypes you're not in you could probably like let's say you're in the black white life gain deck yep and they're in the black blue ingest deck there's not a lot of overlap between those two decks so you could draft black just fine and they could be right next to you and so that makes signal reading a lot more weird than normal. And I think that's definitely like one of the pitfalls that people are running into is that signals are a lot harder to read. Um, And what you were talking about earlier, as far as like being anxious about like not knowing if you're in the right direction and what lane you're supposed to be in, you know, staying open in this format is a lot harder, but also better than a lot of the other formats. Um, Finding that archetype that's open is going to be so much more
0: powerful than finding just a few powerful cards in two colors uh yeah and that's sort of the problem i've been running into i was i've been drafting the quote-unquote good stuff deck yeah where i just which look at not the card that good in this it's format it's not that good you look at a card and you're like that's straight removal at instant speed i'm gonna take it and like that's a, an efficient creature that does stuff and i have a couple of small things that may synergize with it i'll take it and you you just kind of end up with a deck that functions but it doesn't cruise in the way that a fully synergistic deck does and i can't tell you how many times i've lost that life gain deck now yeah the life gain deck is really is really good but each individual card in that deck does not look very good yeah and you would never want half those cards in other decks either right Calastre healer is just an unplayable two drop in so many other decks but it's amazing in that deck it's actually a very very good card in that deck it may as well be an uncommon in that deck
1: well let's talk about synergy really quick because what you said i think i've heard a lot of people say but nobody's really explained what they mean so a pile of good cards yeah. versus synergy. A lot of people are throwing out that analogy, which I believe is true, but I think that people aren't understanding what the synergy part means. To me, synergy means that you're evaluating cards based upon what's are what you've already picked mm-hmm. and what you might possibly pick from here on. That means that your four mana four four may or may not fit into what I've already picked and what I'm picking in the future a four mana four four objectively powerful however a colostria healer which is a two mana one two (laughs) sounds horrible it's an ally and when it comes when it enters the battlefield it has rally so anytime it or another ally enters the battlefield your opponents lose one life
0: and you gain one life so that doesn't actually sound that good yeah because it comes in and it does it for itself but the really the big thing is that there are other cards in the set that aren't just like oh, you can gain more life, or it's an ally It's going to trigger. It's like, no, whenever you gain life, you may. And those cards all...
1: Yeah, there's a bunch of cards that
0: say, if you gain life, do this. If you
1: gain life, yeah. this creature grows. If you gain life, this creature gets flying. If you gain life, blah, blah, blah. And that card turns on a bunch of those cards. So I guarantee you, if you've drafted in a certain way, there's times when you're 4-mana, four 4-4, four, four, you won't pick it. You'll pick the 2-mana 1-2.
0: Yeah. And and that's the thing that's really hard. And they could both be in the same color. Uh, They could both work in your deck. One is just going to be the absolute correct pick. Yep. And, And that's
1: hard to see. So that's what synergy is. Synergy is really, as you're drafting, you're thinking about the cards you've already taken and the cards you may take from here on. So the first step to that, when you think about it, is in order to know what cards you may take from this point
0: forward in the draft, you need to know what the archetype's in the set are yeah, and you need to know which cards are the premium commons and the ones that really make the deck buzz and make it function.
1: But it it really sounds hard because there's ten. They basically did uh, two color pairings. Mm-hmm. Every two color pairing has an archetype, so that's ten archetypes. That sounds crazy. It sounds like how am I going to remember that? They're actually all very simple. Mm-hmm. Some of them also. We'll go through this later. You don't even have to worry about because some of the archetypes are not that great. So really, you're going to narrow it down to five or six that you may possibly play. But let's mm-hmm. just go through the archetypes really quickly, just so that you get an idea of what they are.
0: Yeah. And before we do, we'll talk about a couple of keywords. Uh, there are a few uh, words that there are a few new keywords in the set that will directly affect the archetypes. The first is devoid. And this just, it'll say devoid on the card, and it just means that the card is colorless. So it's quote-unquote colorless matters. Certain cards are affected by that. There is ingest. Whenever the creature with ingest does combat damage to a player, you exile the top card of their library. And then there are processor cards that can process those cards in exile and do cool effects. Like one of them is a man of war. It just bounces a creature for processing a card um let's see what else is there there's
1: that's oh there's converge which cares about what colors and how many colors you spent when you did as we go through we can explain it yeah so one of the archetypes is red blue devoid that just means red blue colorless there's red black aggro so red black it also has a devoid element but it's mostly an aggro deck there's blue black ingest so it's it's blue and black but it cares about exiling your opponent's cards there's black white life gain (sighs) self-explanatory I hate that <laughs> there's blue white flyers slash awaken Yep. but it's really blue white flyers um there's blue green converge again converge cares about how many colors of mana you have access to uh there's green white and red allies so you can do combinations of both you can do green white allies green red allies white red allies, white, red white, allies. Green. yeah although
0: there's also a green red color pair that is landfall so whenever a land enters the battlefield and under your control, something happens, usually your creatures just get bigger.
1: Yeah, and then there's green-black sacrifice. Yeah. So now, you're listening to all this, and there's no way you're going to remember all ten archetypes if you don't already know them. A quick way to sort of get an idea of what our, each archetype wants to do is to just look at the gold cards in the set, mm-hmm. especially the uncommon gold cards. So, like the red-green uncommon so the dual color uncommon for red green is called Grove Rumbler. It's a 3-3 three, three for 4 mana. And when you uh it has landfall, so whenever you play a land, it gets plus two,
0: plus two, and yep. it has trample. So it becomes a 5-5 five, five for 4 mana every time you play a land. It's a very good card. And... But what's that tell me?
1: Yeah. What's the mechanic on the card? It's red-green, it has landfall. That's the deck. It's a red-green landfall deck. That what, means. How does the deck play? Mm. Trample. Attack. Yeah. I damage. Mean, I may Well, landfall is a mechanic that's very good on attack and very bad on defense because you can't drop lands on other players turns naturally you need some Mm -hmm. effect that lets you to do it so it's naturally an aggro oriented strategy because it's a mechanic that works on your turn yep um look at the herald of kozilek so that's the blue and red uncommon gold card it's a three drop two four but what it says is your colorless spells cost one less to cast yep and it's one red blue so what's that telling you it's telling you that blue and red care about colorless yep and that's exactly what that archetype is. Well, the last one we'll talk about is the Skyrider Elf. It's a blue, a green, and X for a flying...
0: Converge
1: ally. Converge
0: ally. ally. So
1: <laughs> what happens is it gets as many plus one, plus one counters as you spent colors to cast it. So if you play pay uh, green and blue and make X zero, then it's a 2-2 two, two flyer because you spent two colors. Yep. But if you spend green, a blue... And then you make x2 and the two colors you spent for x are red and white now it's a four four flyer for four mana pretty good which is a good card but also what to tell you what's the text on the card it's green and blue and it has converge and what is the green and blue archetype it's the converge
0: archetype yeah so it's, it's also easy- the archetype that you ride sweet manta rays through the sky yeah <laughs> it, <laughs> it it's actually a an a, a good archetype also but
1: So you can look at the uncommon cycle of gold cards and each one of them, whatever they're doing, that's going to tell you what that archetype wants to do. So that's an easy way that the designers have basically given you a blueprint or a roadmap for what the archetypes are.
0: Now, not... Now, these gold cards usually are very powerful in the right archetypes. There are times and there are exceptions when they are—they signify what the archetype does, but they suck. Right. <laughs> this that's, happens that's every true. time. We're not
1: saying all those cards are good. We're just saying they're signposts.
0: In this case, all three of these cards, I think, are
1: pretty good. Yeah, for especially sure. Especially for the archetypes. Okay, so now you've learned the archetypes, and that's going to help you evaluate each card when you're drafting and figure out which deck or decks they belong in. So some mm-hmm. cards fit into only one archetype some fit into two remember every color has four color pairs with it blue can pair with white red green or black so that's four archetypes that blue fits with so when you see a blue card you need to evaluate quickly which other color pair and archetype does this fit with yeah and i think that's really the big problem people are running into it's like when and how do i know Sort of went to lock
0: into my archetype. Yeah, the idea of pivoting is really scary because no, it's a, not a very good feeling to pick a sweet rare that was one color and easy to cast in your first pack and then not being able to play it. And I'll say a lot of the rares in this set are
1: actually archetype specific cards. Mm-hmm. So, well, here's a scenario that's really easy to envision. So there's a card called Blood Bond Vampire, it's two and two black for A 3 3 vampire ally, but whenever you gain life, it gets plus one plus one counter. So that's not actually a very good card unless you can gain life. A three man, yeah, a four mana 3 3. Especially is- that's too black, black, it's yeah. even hard, it's to, hard cast. to cast. Yeah. It's a four mana 3 3. If you can't gain life and not just like have one card in your deck that gains life because where the chances you draw it? you have to like have a good chance to gain life in a game. But then Blood Bond Vampire becomes very good. Because it might become a 7-7 or an 8-8 for four mana over mm-hmm. the course of the game. So let's say you open a pack and you take Bond Vampire, thinking, oh, I'm going to be in the life gain deck. And then you spend the next couple of picks trying to follow that archetype. But after pick five or six, you're cut out. You just haven't gotten enough cards that fit into it. And now you want to switch over to, well, you've got these black cards, so you're going to try and switch and pair it with blue. Problem is, cards like Bond Vampire... They don't work with blue because that's the ingest deck. So now all of a sudden you've got a couple of cards that are basically, you can't play them. They're not good. And so this is how you can get into these positions in a draft where it's like, uh uh-oh, I wasted my first like six or seven picks and now I can't actually even pivot. Like in Magic Origins, if you did that, you just drop your second color, add in the the new color and you'd be fine because the black cards you were taking worked in in either side. But in this one, some of the cards you're going to take
0: if you're specific to an archetype, will not work in the new deck. Yeah, that's a really good point. And that is definitely something I've run into where it's like, sweet, I got it. And like, oh my God, pick two, I got another card that's really good in this. And it feels like that. But really it's just that the person in front of you has been taking the more open cards. Um, And the problem is though that it's like, You want to take those crossover cards first, but guess what? Everyone that knows what they're doing would be taking those as well. Uh, Well, and here's the thing we'll talk about there's sort of two
1: categories of cards, I think, and this is the key to staying open and I think drafting a better deck overall most of the time is to understand these two categories. So there's crossover cards and
0: then there's archetype specific cards. So the crossover. This is all specific, by the way, guys, to Balfour's and the cards. Yes, exactly. Um, This This, is a very, very different, difficult set to draft.
1: I think it's similar to uh, Modern Masters. Yeah.
0: Uh, monster I said monster yeah letters. and cons <laughs> had a little bit
1: although it was three color and there was a lot of yeah. complexity from that but yes it not all sets are like this magic origins is nothing like this um so crossover cards and archetype specific cards are the two categories crossover cards are cards where they will cross over into
0: multiple archetypes And And then you'll play them in, if you were playing that color, you'll probably play this card because it is just a good card. It's a good card and it fits into a a couple of different
1: things that the different archetypes are wanting to do. So for blue, this would be like Eldrazi Sky Spawner, which is a two and a blue for a two one flyer that also brings a one, one uh,
0: Eldrazi Scion with it. Pretty good. And there's Coastal Discovery, which is a two, uh, three and a blue for a draw two cards. And you can also cast it for its awaken cost for five in the blue and make a land into a four, four and also draw two cards. That is a
1: three-for-one. It's kind of like Moldrifter. It's a very good card. You'd put it in almost any deck with blue. Um, Black has, like, Complete Disregard, which is two and a black, and you can exile target creature with power three or less. Uh, A very, very strong card. It's, It's removal, it's conditional, but it exiles, which a lot of archetypes want to do and it just kills a small creature
0: yeah and it's instant speed uh and also black's other big card is grip of desolation which is four black black for an instant to exile a creature and a land and that's just great you know it's just it makes sense that it fits in any black deck because there's never a time when you're gonna be like oh i'm the life game deck i don't want to exile this creature it's like no yeah. you you want to get rid of his biggest threat like and you- in this format <laughs> a
1: lot of times the lands are also creatures so sometimes you're just getting rid of two creatures yeah which it's is amazing. very very good yeah. um for white, there's something like Sheardrop, which uh, is a sorcery that destroys target tapped creature. It also has Awaken. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Stasis Snare, which is an enchantment you can cast at flash speed. It's basically Oblivion Ring. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, it's very, very good. And again, like Gideon's Reproach, too. Yeah, like, all, again, all... Gideon's Reproach is a very good one, a
0: common also. Yeah. Um, go ahead red uh, red is touch of the void two in a red for a devoid uh i by the way look how much i've drafted this set every single one of these cards i know the exact text yeah. to uh two in a red for a sorcery speed that does in, uh, a sorcery speed burn spell that does three damage to either a creature or player and it exiles, and it the, exiles creature. the creature if it's yep. killed this way i and would say
1: outnumber uh, if it's in this category where it's- yeah
0: outnumber a little less so i think stone fury is the better match here because any red deck that can play stone fury can Will want it. Whereas there's to be some decks where Outnumber is just going to be. I think Outnumber is still good. It's one mana and it's an instant and it does damage to a creature equal to the number of
1: creatures you control. It's, yeah. It. it- there's there's very few limited decks that have less than 12
0: creatures and even if you only do two with it it's still pretty good it's still pretty good i do like touch of the void a lot because it's three damage to the face and sometimes i can just win the game (laughs) uh rolling thunder is sort of the big
1: uncommon it's uh red red and x and then you can do x damage divided as you choose to any number of target creatures and players which is insane. it's better than most mythics it's very very good Uh, (laughs) and then green bringing up the rear here um unnatural aggression which is the fight card of the set it's it's the worst fight card I've yeah, ever seen. it's two and a green you have your creature fight one of their creatures and then it exiles but it doesn't give any pump to power and toughness it is an instant yeah uh it's 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 not that great but it, it is a
0: card that will go in any deck with green yeah you guys remember usually the fight cards in, in sets of past will be like your creature gets plus one plus two and then fights another creature yeah, savage
1: Punched, yeah, plus punch plus two plus two yeah
0: yeah and then there's the tajuro Warcaller, which is just this insane three green green uh two two ally two that, one two one yeah when it comes into play it gives all your creatures plus two plus two until end of turn or and any it's got ally. rally so yeah. any ally that you play after it gives all your creatures plus two plus two
1: also yeah. um so that card's very strong and will go in a lot of green decks because as long as you've got creatures you want that card even if you can only trigger it once that's totally fine it's totally fine yeah. um so those are the type of cards that are crossover cards. Those cards are not archetype specific. And in general, you would want to start the draft with a card like that if you can, depending. Mm-hmm. We're going to go through this a little bit. Yeah. But those those are the cards. There are others. We didn't go through all of them. And you're gonna ha- we're not going to be able to talk about every card in this set. And so what you need to do is look at the cards in any given pack or just you know take a look at the whole set and go through each card for yourself and say, okay, is this card a card that wants to be in one of these specific archetypes? Or is this a card that can fit into multiple archetypes? And if it fits into multiples, it's a crossover card. Yep. If it doesn't, it's archetype-specific. So let's talk about some of the archetype-specific cards.
0: Uh, Colostria Healer. This card is such a pain in my butt. It is a 1-2 two for two mana, a one in the black, whatever cluster healer or another ally enters the battlefield under your control you lose uh, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life so it's a drain drain life um this card is again if you're just playing like a black deck that doesn't have anything any other allies or care about losing or gaining life it's horrible it's horrible it's just this card that it comes in for two mana you gain a life and you have a one two that will die if it blocks pretty much anything Anything. yeah and it's not going to trade very well either um but if you have the black white life game deck
1: and you get three or four of these out it's insanity yeah but if you have even two on ugh. the battlefield and you play like two allies like you can never lose that game it's insane
0: yeah and your opponent just can't stop the damage coming in either it's not like you're swinging and attacking and they can block they're forced to waste good removal on these really crappy creatures yep um, um, Mist Intruder is very similar actually when you think about it. It's one in a blue for a one
1: two flyer, but it has Devoid and in Ingest. So, Ingest again, when it deals combat damage to a player, you exile the top card of that player's library. And so now they've got a card sitting there in exile that you can use one of the processors, which we talked about earlier. And a processor is any card that says when you play it, you either have to or you can Mm -hmm. take one of their cards, your opponent's cards from exile and put it in their graveyard. And then you get some additional effect or some cards. You have to do that just to get any effect at all. Um, The Mist Intruder is very much like the Carlostria Healer in that it's a sort of crappy creature it's a one two flyer for two yep that actually enables the entire strategy
0: yeah and it's important because there aren't that many turn two plays in this format so being able to pop this out if you're uh, on the play on turn two means you're probably almost always going to get hidden with it and ingesting one card is sometimes all you need to make the rest of your deck it turns on every other 25 yeah. better yeah instead of waiting there and being like gosh i really hope i can ingest something oh how am i going to do it Miss Intruder is one of those ways that It may not seem significant, but it really does a ton of damage. Same with a card like Benthic Infiltrator, which is essentially— Now, this card is actually pretty crossover, too, honestly. I think this is more of a crossover card because it's it's a 1-4
1: for 3. It's tuna blue for a 1-4. It has uh, Ingest and Devoid, but it's unblockable.
0: Yeah, that's so a So it's one.
1: guaranteed to attack. And it also can block because it's a 1-4 for 3. Yeah. So it's a decent blocker against the more aggro strategy decks. I think that even decks that don't have a lot of processing will take the Benthic Infiltrator. But if you don't have processing, you don't want Mist Intruder at all. Which Absolutely is, Which, not, again, yeah. is the 1-2 flyer for 2. Um, yep. Brilliant Spectrum. This Nobody's talking about this card a lot, but the Converge deck is a deck that wants this card it's three and a blue for a sorcery it says it has converge Mm -hmm. so you draw as many cards as you spent colors of mana to cast it so if you spend blue green red and white you draw four cards and then you discard two cards so you discard the two cards no matter what so if you can only spend two colors of mana to cast it let's say you're blue and red and you spend blue, blue, red, red for the four mana. Mm -hmm. Draw two cards, and you immediately have to discard two cards. It's the worst card ever, because you actually cast a card, drew two cards, and discarded two cards, so you actually are down a card. Yep. If you can draw three, it's like okay, because it's at least card selection, but it's four mana card selection. So let's say you have three mana. It'll feel like it'll waste
0: your entire turn doing it.
1: Yeah, let's say you have three color mana, and you go blue, blue, red, and green. So you draw three cards and now discard two cards. But what happened is you also cast the Brilliant Spectrum, so you're even on cards, and you got a little bit of card selection. But if you can cast it for four mana, now you're drawing four cards and discarding two. Well, four different colors of mana. Sorry, four different colors of mana. Now you're drawing four cards and discarding two, and it's actually really good, because it gives you the ability when you have too much... Uh, mana in your hand to just turn that into four cards yep it does a lot of crazy things but it's only good in the converge deck it's a very bad card yeah i'll you, see
0: this last pick in the pack almost yeah all at the least once in, once draft
1: <laughs> but it's very much like the Intruder and the colostra healer in that only that one archetype really wants it but when that archetype when you have it that card's actually good yeah totally uh voracious Knoll, green black not a big fan of this card this card's actually very powerful in the green black deck uh you can do these crazy things where you blister pod turn one turn your voracious null into a six six on turn three or four uh because you can actually you know sometimes use the eldrazi spawn yeah probably
0: not turn three turn four for sure unless you can cheat it out well if
1: you go blister pod voracious null blister pod you can do it i think well maybe turn four yeah
0: yeah, but anyway, you can go off with of this card, yeah. It's yeah, two in the black. For one in the black, it's a 2-2. Two, two. You can sacrifice another creature to put two plus and plus encounters on Voracious Knoll, but you can only do it when you could activate a sorcery. Right. Or cast so you a can't, sorcery.
1: You can't do it at instant speed and sort of get them, but it's it's not an amazing card, but in the black-green archetype, it's very, very powerful because yeah. uh, an early 4-4 four, four, or 6-6 six, six is super hard to deal with in this format.
0: Yeah, the fact that it gets plus two, plus two counters every time, it's not just... Uh, temporary like an antico husk pretty powerful um titan's presence is uh three colorless and then you
1: reveal a colorless creature card from your hand and it exiles any
0: creature with power less than the creature you revealed yeah and that's an instant too so it's it's one of the best removal spells but it's only good if you can have multiple colorless creatures like uh, the majority of your creatures are colorless and their power is somewhat high
1: but in this uh in this format you could have a red blue devoid deck that literally has 14 colorless creatures in it in which case titan's presence is amazing yep but if you're in the black white life gain deck and you have zero colorless creatures this card does nothing and you don't want it yep pretty much so it's another one of those cards so uh oh and this one is one people don't think about but fortified rampart for me is in the same category as white blue flyers yes yeah so white blue flyers just wants to clog up the ground so they can attack with their flyers and mm-hmm. so their colostria healer if you will is an, a zero six 6 wall because they don't care about attacking on the ground they want to make sure you can't attack them back yeah. when they hit you with their flyer and a couple of fortified ramparts just stop everything on the ground until like turn seven
0: and by then you're dead because they just hit you a bunch of times with a 3-2 flyer Yep, and the way that happens even better is they have tightening coils, which yep. is one in the blue. A target creature gets minus six, minus zero, and loses flying. Yep. So it, it's it's actually a really good blue removal spell in the way that blue gets removal because you're just trying to fly over their head. You don't care about these silly, devoid, ingest synergies. You're just throwing birds at their face.
1: It's crazy how good Tightening Coils is. Most people thought it was not that great, and it's turned out to be extremely good. It stops cards like Felidar Sovereign. Yeah, it stops, it stops almost, their flyers. It stops a
0: lot of the big old Drazi that people are powering out, too. Anybody's got a Landfall deck? Sorry. Yeah. It's it's
1: crazy good. And again, these cards are not good in any deck that it wants to attack on the ground because Fortified Rampart doesn't attack, and Tightening Coils leaves them with their creature still able to block you. They it just doesn't have any you, yeah. power. Yeah. So, And then all the gold cards actually fit into the archetype-specific cards Mm -hmm. category. So there, like I said, you can look at each gold card, and it will tell you what each archetype wants to do. So that, by definition, is an archetype card. It's not a crossover card. So this is not a black-and-white thing, though. So Mm -hmm. the way we've been talking about it, it seems like every card is either a crossover card or it's an archetype card. The problem is it's more complex than even that. Some of the cards fit into two archetypes, but not all four. Some fit into three, some fit into only one, you know, something like vile aggregate, which is a, one, which is a zero, sorry, it's a star five, star five, baby For two and a red. It's got devoid. And it has power and trample and ingest. Trample and, ingest. Yep. <laughs> and its power is equal to the amount of colorless creatures you control. So it's a 1-5 because it counts itself. Yeah, this uh, this card's absurd. This card is very, very good. Um, if you have two Eldrazi Scions and like one other random devoid creature, it's mm-hmm. suddenly a 4-5 with trample and ingest. That's a very good card. It fits in the uh, red-black aggro strategy because there's a lot of devoid there. The blue-red... Mm-hmm. uh
0: devoid strategy
1: but it doesn't really fit in the red green landfall deck and it doesn't really fit in it, the red white allies deck it so it fits in
0: the very specific red green deck which is the weird red scion green colorless scion deck yep. yeah because those scions will make the vile aggregate bigger but that's just like that now you're going to load a lot lo- you'd have to, to get a couple vile aggregates to make that deck really good yeah because that's your main card yeah and brood monitors
1: so it's weird so vile aggregate is a half crossover, half archetype card. It's very good. And I would first pick Uh it, uh, it, depending on the pack. But I'm just saying like, that's how complicated it is. Some of these cards you're going to look at and go, oh, that's like half an archetype card. But it's sort of crossover because it does fit in multiple archetypes. It just doesn't fit in all four archetypes that touch this color. So, complicated, super complicated. Yep. Okay, so, and the last thing I will say is like, okay, so we're saying in general if you can you should take a crossover card over an archetype card early on because that's going to leave you open and once you get to pack or pick four five six now you're seeing like oh i've got some blue cards i've got some red cards and now a uh a nettle drone came through a nettle drone is two and a red for card with devoid it's a three one and you can tap it to deal one damage to to each player, to each, oppo- each opponent, each, yeah, oh yeah, to sure. each opponent. But you, uh, whenever you play a colorless card, you untap it. Yep. So that goes in the blue, red, devoid deck. And you know you've taken quite a few blue cards. Maybe you took a red card. Maybe you haven't. But now, sixth or seventh pick, you see this, and now you're like, okay, that is That's now the clear sixth sign. or seventh pick. It's late enough that everybody had a chance at it, and now, and I know none of them wanted it. And now I can sort of move in. Mm -hmm. on that blue red devoid deck now move in quote unquote carefully i would say i don't know how many times in this format where i take a a a good blue card another good blue card a good white card you know and then all of a sudden this black card comes through and it puts me into an archetype you know it puts me into blue black and i go okay i'm gonna go into that and i take that card and then the next pick is like there's nothing for that archetype so then I just take a step back and I try and take a crossover card again or else I take some another archetype
0: card that touches blue.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and then I'm still not locking in. A lot of times I'm not locking into my archetype until the second pack.
0: Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense too because there I mean, in every pack you'll have probably 4 to 5 cards that no one wants at all whatsoever. Yep. So that means there's only 10 10- or eight nine or ten you know real good picks out of it so by one rotation of the table you may just never see the right cards just yep. due to variance and stuff so it is hard to lock in early unless you've really just been fed by the people around you to give you the very specific card saying hey you should be in this hey you should be in this i just passed you a rolling thunder that is as clear of a sign as any that you should be taking red cards and not you know taking the colors that i have or whatever yeah for sure
1: i do think there's something else you have to calculate and again it's it gets complex and that's why this format is hard sometimes the archetype card is so powerful that you do take it early. Like Vile Aggregate? Vile Aggregate, I believe, is one of those. Uh, Drawn as Emissary. Yep. Which is one, a white, and a black. It's a 2-2 flyer, but at,
0: during your upkeep, every turn, your opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Yep, and it happens during the upkeep, which means it triggers all of your stuff at the beginning of your turn, which actually makes a big difference for a lot of the creatures like Blood, and, bone, and Land, Vampire. even if you're not in the black-white you know? deck, it's just
1: that's a huge thing to just do every turn for free yeah. on a two two flyer for three which is already a good
0: card drawn as emissary Halamar tidecaller oh my gosh we love this card this is my this is my favorite uncommon of the set it's uh it's this two in the blue for a two three ally that when it enters the battlefield you can return the target card with awaken from your graveyard to your hand and land creatures you control have flying so you can build a whole deck that has uh, clutch of Currents, Sheer Drops, Undo Risings that all make your lands into dudes. And then when you play this creature, it gets one of those back, and now that land creature is a flyer. Yeah,
1: it's crazy. But again, this card doesn't do anything if you don't have awaken cards in your deck. Yep. It doesn't get anything back, and it doesn't make anything have flying. It only works with awaken cards. So I have happily first picked this. Yeah, and it, but the power level's so high when you do have Awakened cards mm-hmm. that it can be worth it to first pick it. And also, the awaken cards can go in multiple decks clutch of currents is great in the flyers deck but it's also just fine in the ingest deck it's It's fine in any deck with blue yeah it's not great yeah the blue red deck clutch of Currents will be fine there too it's going to be slightly better in certain archetypes and slightly worse but it's never unplayable yeah so that means halimar tide color is one of those half archetype half crossover cards it's powerful enough i would take it early we can't go through all of all of the cards obviously there's going to be a ton what we're trying to do is give you some framework for when you look at a pack how to think about each card in it let's finish up by talking about i don't know maybe like our favorite archetypes jimmy
0: Mine is definitely white blue awakened flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, Halimar Tidecaller is just such an insane card because it regrowths a card, and almost always the awakened cards that you take, that you want to have in this set are all very powerful. Yep, and they're the crossover cards, right? Yeah, they're crossover cards too. So you could easily take, you know, taking a Sheer Drop is such a safe pick or a Clutch of Currents because it can go in so many different decks, and it's just by itself a powerful card. Yep. So Sheardrop Drop lets you destroy a tapped creature, and then you can awaken it to make a three three, right? And then Clutch of Currents is one blue at sorcery speed. You can bounce a creature, or for four in the blue, you make a three three. Yep. Then you make a land into a three three, and you bounce a creature. Yeah, these are just great cards, and if you just start taking these, and you really get rewarded by the mythic uncommon in this because the halimar tide is like an a in this deck if you yep. have enough creatures to to trigger with it
1: it's crazy because it can be a three for one a lot of the cards yeah. can be three for ones i also think flyers are very powerful in this set so cloud yep. manta is just three and a blue for a three two flyer yeah that card has gone up and up for me at first i thought it was okay now it's, it's like hell yeah cloud manta that's awesome like i yeah. take i'll take 50 of those things i
0: still think uh courier griffin's a better creature though courier
1: griffin is the it's uh, a, it's two a, three yeah, yeah. It's a two three flyer For instead of a three two but you, but you gain, gain two, life. two life yeah it, it's still I think d- in this deck actually i'd rather have cloud manta i i mm-hmm. will take it i will take the uh, two three flyer two three flyer is actually really good in the black white life gain deck oh yeah um but that's why i like it is yeah. because it's
0: one of those sweet cards that works it's It'll, a
1: crossover card yeah, more than cloud manta. any
0: white deck will happily play that card while whereas cloud manta may not fit very well into your blue black ingest deck you know true
1: Shadow glider, which is just two and a white for a two-two flyer. That card is perfectly fine. That card's awesome. I'll (laughs) run three or four of them sometimes. Because what happens is in the Flyers in the Awakened Flyers deck is that you're taking tightening coils and fortified ramparts so that you can just clog up everything on the ground. And the other thing that's great is you have Coral Helm Guide. Yeah. Coral Helm Guide is one and a blue for a two-one, but you can pay five mana and make something unblockable. So what happens is I gotta I I uh tightening coils a couple of your big guys. And then later in the game, I can sneak something past it with Coral Helm Guide. So they, t- t- tightening coils doesn't even have that normal downside that your dudes can still block. Yep. Yeah, so very very cool archetype this is one of my favorites too oh the other thing i love about this archetype is if you get enough awaken cards you can just run 19 lands
0: yeah that's really crazy right because all of your lands and there's another big th- sub theme in the set which which is lands matter uh, yeah. not just the ones that cards that turn your lands into creatures but yeah because your lands will becoming will become creatures that means they're also vulnerable to dying in combat or from yep. a combat trick or from a burn spell or whatever so that means you can you should and you definitely should run more lands because i mean 18 for sure but i'll run 19 if i have five
1: or six awakened cards and the great thing about running 19 lands is that you have less mulligans Mm -hmm. so you just have more keeps yeah so you just have some automatic wins where the other guy mulligans a couple times and you didn't have to and you just get that because your deck is actually built to take
0: advantage of having more lands than them and you just have to mull less. Yeah, uh, I really like this deck a lot, because yeah. sometimes you... I mean, here's the thing. is like people are trying to get out to six mana to drop their five fives and their nine nines or whatever. You tiny coils it, and you're like, I swing again for six in the air. What are yep. you going to do? That's a three and a half turn clock. I mean, I don't know how many people I've killed with Cloud Manta,
1: but it's a lot. And it's just swinging for three every turn, and they're just like, well, I don't know. You got six turns. Yeah.
0: You know? <laughs> good yeah, luck. Good luck. Yeah, there aren't that many cards that just get rid of a flyer,
1: honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another deck I, I really like and I think it may be the best deck in the format is the blue red devoid deck
0: yeah I agree I think I think if you get the the right cards this is the best
1: deck it's harder to get I think because most people do know it's it's mm-hmm. very good um, the key cards are like nettle drone like we talked about earlier which is a three one pinger devoid untaps when you play another colorless spell vile aggregate which we talked about ruination guide which is which gives all your colorless creatures plus one plus oh yeah and
0: there's also tide drifter with but that's yep. more for the blue black ingest deck
1: i i like tide drifter um in both of those archetypes though because you do want to block yeah a three one is a nettle drone that's not a good blocker you don't want it to die so what are you going to do when they attack you with their landfall creatures it's nice to have the tide drifter out there yeah yeah um this this deck is very very strong it does do some tempo stuff too like a lot of times i've won with clutch occurrence twice Mm. in a row and just actually attacking with nettle drones and stuff and all of a sudden like merge strider yeah and you get them down to three and you've got a nettle drone and you're like all i gotta do is you got two turns because i'm gonna tap it and then i'm gonna play it. i'm gonna tap it next turn and play it uh,
0: colorless spell Spell, yeah yep yep yep. um yeah she's got a lot of ways of killing people outside of normal combat means yep even molten nursery is a good card in this deck. If you if you and people are, are thought that card was terrible, but it turns out that card is getting better and better as as people keep drafting these devoid decks.
1: And that's one of the hallmarks of these very good decks is that the cards that people thought were terrible and actually are terrible outside of the archetype. That means that you get that card super late. Yeah. And so if you're getting cards that are like a B in your deck, but you're getting them like eighth and ninth pick, that's why those archetypes are very very strong because you're getting yeah. really good cards late in the pack when most other people are getting stuff they can't even play. Reap the benefits, baby. Yep. The last one is the life gain deck for me uh, anyway. Yeah, no, I agree with this too.
0: These are definitely my top three decks.
1: The key card is Serene Steward, which is a one and a white for a 2-2 ally. But anytime you gain life... Anytime you gain life, you can pay white and put a 1-1 counter on something. Yep. Um, Colostria Healer, which we already talked about. Uh, Blood Bond Vampire. Blood Bond Vampire with... Colostria Healer out is a four mana, four, four, because you play it, it's an ally, it triggers Colostria Healer, and then you've gained life, and now it gets a one, one counter. It's very, very strong. Colostrian Night Watch is another card, which is four and a black for a four, five, but if you gain life, it gains flying.
0: Yeah, that's why Drawn's Emissary is so good with this, is because it triggers it before, you know, even Stonehaven Medic's a good card in this deck, just to get the life gain going.
1: The Zulaport Cutthroat (laughs) is decent, which anytime a
0: creature dies, you
1: gain one life, and your opponents lose one life uh oh sorry a creature you you control you control yeah, yeah it's not 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 polarized. Polarized. um very very strong uh yeah i love these archetypes uh all three of those i think converge is sneaky good you it's a little bit harder to get
0: it's harder to get and it wants to beat down because it's got that uh the tijuru guy that's i don't f-
1: actually think that that's necessarily true the tijuru stalwart yeah which is a three mana three four if you do it right which gets out class really quickly because you figure like File aggregate just stops it dead in its tracks. Yeah, uh, that's true. Kozilek Sentinel, which is a one-four-for-two that everybody runs, stops it dead in track. I actually think that the convey deck converge. is sorry, converge deck yeah. is uh, a slower,
0: grindier um, card advantage deck, and built brilliant spectrum. Is what makes that deck go. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone play that successfully yet. It, just because I think you need to have a really good combination of cards and fixing cards. So you're like, you're playing. It sucks when you have to play cards that just fix your mana because you'd rather yeah. play a creature, you know, or something that may kill your opponent, a cloud manta or whatever. So it's interesting, but that... you need the the two one uh, green guys that, that life spring for any druid. Yeah. yeah,
1: those guys are really good in the in the converge deck. You also
0: need like the blighted fen, which is this uh, this this sack land for three and green and where you can sack and grab two basics out of your of your although library. it's tough because
1: that card is really bad in the convergent deck also because it only taps for a colorless so yep. and, and then you got to take your whole turn five to use it i like evolving wilds the life spring druids you probably have to get a half land or two in there
0: so yeah fertile thickets will do work in that deck as well but when you get it that deck can be very very strong yeah um it's just not always there yeah i've lost a lot to the white black life gain deck it's really frustrating
1: that deck is the most fun to play for sure because you're just always doing stuff it's like i play this it triggers this i pay a man i put a one one counter here this guy gains flying like every time you're doing and hey i'm at 30
0: life and you are just dying slowly because i'm training every time yeah i uh i I had the best white red deck i'd ever drafted with uh, josh kim over in we were playing moto a lot uh, in 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 england in our hotel room when we were bored we addressed this sweet white red deck and we we're like, sweet, we're going to freaking destroy. First round, wreck the opponent. Second round, white black life gain. T- turn two, Colostria Healer. And we looked at each other and was like, well, I guess we have to race because we're going to be gaining life. Uh, and then they popped out of Gideon. And you're and just like, oh, that dead. was all she wrote. Because Gideon makes allies, Gideon right makes allies. Me. And we just sat there being like, can't kill Gideon this turn. Can never kill Gideon now ever we're again. just dead. Yeah. yeah, it's all over. It doesn't matter Retreat what we're Retreat
1: to have. Amiria we didn't mention is a super strong uh card yeah. in that deck because every time you play a land, you either make a one one, which is an ally, which mm-hmm. gains you life and they it cost them life, or once you get enough of those, you just make all your creatures plus one, plus one and kill yeah. them.
0: <laughs> which is insane.
1: Yeah. Retreat to America is very, very good. I I think this format is not good for aggro in general red black is okay if that deck comes together yeah. all the rest of the aggro decks i don't like i don't like landfall that much
0: i don't like the red white allies deck that much because- actually you know i like landfall more because it's got a lot of trample in there and it's got some really interesting combat tricks and sure strike because sure strike plus trample is just so much damage you it, get it, damage it is in-
1: but here's the list of cards that are anti-aggro there's fortified ramparts so 06 wall there's a 05 tide drifter there's tightening coils there's 1-4 Kozilek Sentinel, which goes in most of the Devoid decks. There's mm-hmm. a 1-5 Vile Aggregate. There's Clutch of Currents. Now, Clutch of Currents, against an aggro deck, that means every single one-mana unsummoned spell that gets into a draft is getting played by somebody. And against an aggro deck, yeah. you just play it for the one-mana because you don't care. You just need to last till turn five, and then the aggro deck can't kill you anymore. Yeah. And uh, then all the Scions are chump blockers for all the aggro decks. I'm not saying an aggro deck can never win. I just don't think they're well positioned in general in the format. And and we do It's s- tough. The format is definitely a little bit slower. Yeah. And uh it, two, there's not very many two drops that are very good you know all the good two drops that we talked about are all synergy two drops they're not like attack you for a bunch yeah, of yeah and I
0: would argue the best two drops in are both landfall ones for red and green for yeah, that deck that they're it's, the
1: gnarlid and and, and uh, valakut
0: predator or whatever no that's a three drop that's it's three drop. the McKinney slide runner so, yeah
1: the two one yeah it's like and those, both of those are easily stopped with like one wall
0: one tightening coil one clutch of current. yeah yeah I mean you're trying to go wide and fast at the same time with those decks and the thing is like I've actually lost four or five ramparts to a snapping gnar. Probably because of a swell of growth,
1: yeah, but that's fine because yeah. they used a card, they used all that tempo. You know, how much it cost them like their whole third or fourth turn to do that, yeah, yeah. I'm fine with that kind of play because Fortified Ramparts isn't necessarily meant to just stop them forever, it's just meant to slow them enough till you can kill them before they kill
0: you. Yeah, I've played uh two games now where the opponent has milled themselves out just because it's so dirtly, yeah. They were I had just a gaining game a bunch of life.
1: Actually, that happens most often I've found when you're blue-white flyers and they're blue-white flyers. Because mm. what happens is you can kill, all, you can trade all your flyers, and then you've got fortified ramparts and tightening coils, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, everybody's got three creatures, but they're all either walls or they've yeah. got tightening coils on them, and so nobody can actually hit each other. And then you're like clutch occurrence. Then they attack with the three-three. You block with your wall, and then you clutch occurrence them, and nothing actually happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. You clutch against your own creature. <laughs> I've like done it. it back. Yeah, I've I've done it. Um, yeah, it's interesting.
1: Yeah, super fun. Hopefully, there's been stuff in here. I'm not saying we're the best drafters in the world. Like, I've done well with this format, you know, but there are a lot of people better at drafting than we are. But I think there's a lot of our listeners that are new to drafting, haven't drafted a lot, yeah. might want to try it out. This, one, this set is particularly tough. Well, the great thing is you sit down, you get three packs. You might pull an Expedition, you might pull a Gideon, yeah. you might pull an Ulumog. You know, you're going to get some games in. Like, those usually drafts are only nominally more expensive than
0: just buying a couple of packs, and mm-hmm. you get added value. You get to play some games, maybe win some packs. Potentially even grab a rare from someone else's pack because it, they decided to take another card over it, you know? Yeah, they might take a synergy
1: card, and you might get a good rare that you wanted. Yeah. And you're learning how to draft. Like, this is something that will pay you back in the future. And just, if you haven't tried it, don't be intimidated. It, it's not that crazy you go you pick a card
0: yeah then you pick the next card and eventually would, you're just I, like
1: whatever i'm only picking red or blue cards
0: yeah i would advise the one the one easy way to get prepared is just you know listen to a brief podcast read any number of the primers online just take 10 seconds to skim through it and just have a general idea of what you're walking into otherwise you're going to be so i don't know just overwhelmed or just get your friends you know that's the, actually probably the very best way yeah if you can find your a play group, group of eight,
1: your group of friends six is great i think six is perfectly fine Uh, like coverage drafts and things with like pro teams they'll do six yeah um so that's a great way to draft just get five of your buddies split the cost of a booster box
0: draft if you don't have that many friends that do it they're all you know school clubs Yeah. you can even do it with four i mean just to learn it
1: yeah yeah i think four the variety of cards you're gonna see is gonna be make it a little bit the decks won't be as good but that doesn't matter if you're just learning how to draft four people is great
0: yeah i did something really silly i when i cracked my box of balfour's in the car i i walked around and made it i've done a draft this table yeah and i just fake drafted four i you eight sat every pieces. seat i sat every seat and i've was done like, that well, for I'll sure take. yeah just because i'm like i'm gonna crack these packs anyway i did that for this set i did it for cons
1: you learn a lot yeah. about like what decks are gonna look like you know, if somebody try, you know, gets this specific card, what direction they might yeah. go in. It's
0: nice too because some seats can be like, I'm just going to be the stubborn person in my, in this yeah. particular scene. Be like, I'm going to try and force this because I had a sweet mythic I opened in the first pack, and be like, wow, that did not pan out, or like, wow, that kind of panned out, but it still wasn't good, or you know, you get to learn a little valuable lessons there. Mm-hmm. That that is a little time consuming, and you look like a madman when you do it, but you look like a madman we'll just do it when no one's watching yeah <laughs> this is the story of my magic life hiding when I open packs like no one look it's a, it's a hunger alright we hope you really enjoyed the first episode of the sideboard
1: see the board sideboard uh, just a reminder our episode next week our regular episode of the command zone will be on Thursday not Tuesday yep October 29th
0: uh, no, November 5th. Today is October 29th. Correct. Uh,
1: <laughs> November 5th. Because we are uh, doing an interview with Wizards of the Coast member Adam Prozac, who is uh, in R&D as a game designer, and he has had a big hand in designing the new Legendary Cube on MTGO.
0: Very also, exciting.
1: the most exciting part.
0: We have a Commander spoiler. We do. Spoiler! Woo, woo, woo. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert! Wow. We didn't even practice that. Nope. That'll never happen like that again. Yeah, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, We're going to try and pair all those things up so you guys get an interview talking about this new legendary cube on MTGO that also has the new Commander cards in it, as well as a preview of what's going to come in the Commander set, which is coming out later in November, which is really exciting. It's right around the corner. Yeah, November 13th, I believe. Yeah, I, I cannot wait. I... Always look forward to these sets every single year. Yeah, November 13th. Hey, that's the day that Prof's coming to visit us. Hey,
1: that's right. Oh, we have some good I'm stuff. I'm going to pick him up too. at the airport and then we're going to go to the card store and buy all the Commander product for sure. That's nice. what we're going to do.
0: Actually, no, I might be free that night. So maybe we go to an FM somewhere. Yeah, sweet. Um, yeah, I bet people in town would love that. Oh, yeah. Prof, get ready to get swamped, buddy. <laughs> get swamped. Get swamped, bro.
1: All right, time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. So a few months ago, I recommended a podcast called The Serial Podcast, which turns out is the biggest podcast in the history of the world, and everybody already knew about it. Yeah, maybe more than a few months ago now that I think about it. It's probably like a year ago. Um, I think it was around winter of 2014. Yeah, yeah, there's so much hype around it back then. Anyway, so The Serial Podcast, if you don't know what it is, you should definitely go check it out. It was done by a woman named Sarah Koenig who Mm -hmm. worked for – NPR. NPR and This American Life, and she got onto this cold case about a murder like 15 years ago and really went into it and interviewed all the people, and there's all this weird stuff, and people just got enraptured by this story about this guy named Adnod Syed. So what's happened in the meantime is that podcast ended, and Adnod's still in jail. But two other podcasts have started up. One is by somebody, a lawyer, who actually knows Adnod, and then some some law professors they got interested in the case and started oh, wow. looking into it, and they've actually drummed up new evidence. And then there's a fan made podcast. So the the lawyer podcast is called Undisclosed, mm-hmm. and the fan made podcast used to be called The Serial Dynasty, but now it's called Truth and Justice. They're both on like the top twenty podcasts on iTunes, right? Easy to find, and they have actually found out like a whole bunch of new information. They've interviewed new people. They've Found all these new little law wrinkles because they're lawyers. Wow, that's sweet. There's a ton of interesting stuff that's happening, and it's happening right now. In fact, there's a lot. There's been some uh, motions for like different. I, I'm not a lawyer. Uh-huh. Uh, Gabe would probably know what all this stuff is. Sorry, SG Doc. But um, anyway, there's a lot of movement in that case, and 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 some things, some interesting things may be happening soon. So if you listen to the Serial podcast, if you liked it, or if you haven't, go listen to the Serial podcast, and then check out Undisclosed. Undisclosed, sorry, and Truth and Justice. Those are the two podcasts that super interesting. Suck me right back in, man. I hadn't thought about Serial in like nine months, (laughs) and somebody told me about this, and I was just like.
0: I listened to them all in like a week. That's hilarious. I still haven't listened to Serial yet. Oh I've man, seen you every, have to. I've seen every online parody of it, though, <laughs> so I feel like I'm in the loop. I did get to watch the Jinx though, and that the... oh the Jinx was again. <laughs> we that, talked about that on an end step once yeah, too. That I love. I love that sort of stuff where it's like there is a mystery and uh, we're gonna solve it together, guys. Yep, Serial
1: basically started everybody wanting to do that jinx they had started that before yeah. but they came out after. it's totally
0: yeah it's funny things come in waves like that anyway and jinx was right in line with all that other stuff yeah sweet good all podcast right. always good to, to expand out and check. i mean we podcasts. know everybody listening likes podcasts yeah they so. better
1: they better all right, uh, don't forget, speaking of podcasts, to listen to our sister podcast, The hey. Masters of Modern. Alex and Ben talk about modern as a format and all things competitive magic. You can follow them on Twitter at the Cast, or you can find them on rocketjump.com slash TheMMCast. Hey, maybe we'll have a modern sideboard episode. Because... Oh, we definitely could, and we could have them on as guests, or we could just not. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And just be
1: like, we talked about Modern. What's up, guys?
0: Yeah, and they listen to it, and they're like, guys, oh, boy. You don't know what you're you about. Got, Yeah. Ugh. Alex gr- will listen to anything we do and say that. Yeah. Grand Prix LA <laughs> is coming up, though, and it's going to be Modern Format in May. Uh, if you guys will be around, I think Josh and I will definitely try to attend that. And I will play a Red Deck Wins deck. Probably me, too, because Does I can't I imagine putting together maybe Affinity or something. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'll play Tron, because I've seen it played a lot. I don't know And to I play like any of those Karn. decks. I'm playing Red Deck Wins. Yeah, Red Deck Wins.
1: Um, you know what I'm going to play?
0: commander yeah i'm just gonna show up and play commander you bring a commander deck to i actually this is funny i by the way longest at cleanup step now ever uh uh josh the other josh built a tron deck Uh and tron is basically play karn liberate and and uh the new new and ugin and all and, the Urza lands, right? Yeah, and all the Urza lands to make a sh- uh, mm, poop-ton of mana. <laughs> <laughs> nice Shh. nice recovery. Uh, and I played my Marchesa commander deck against it and be like, all right, <laughs> who's going to win?
1: I got One. destroyed. Yeah. he
0: got turn three, Karn, and I was like, yeah. oh, that's why. It's way too fast. Yeah, yeah. it's way too fast. He can have four of every card. Yeah, it's built to be consistent. But I did, I did hang in there. I, I hung with him for quite a while. That's actually kind of awesome is yeah. commander versus another format. Yeah. Yeah. We could do a whole little thing on that. Anyway, uh, the editor for the show is Terry Robertson special thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for the Living Cards animations you can find him at Living Cards MTG you can also find the Living Card animations on the episodes that have video that Terry edits on our uh, YouTube page youtube.com slash the command zone podcast you can watch all of our videos there alright
1: everybody let us know how you liked the first episode of this sideboard and thank you for listening
0: yeah and we'll see you next time peace out yeah. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs>